listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're going to be dealing with this. You saw it, I'm sure, in the uh, title. We're talking about seven questions that will keep you from gossip. Seven questions that will keep you from gossip. I don't mean that people will not gossip about you. I don't think, I don't know how you could stop that. I I honestly don't think you could stop it, but I'm talking about seven questions that will keep you from falling into the trap of gossip. And that is a very important, uh, discipline because I think one of the most slippery slopes that there is, is going back and forth from making sure that you speak out against a principle that is wrong, which you should do. And then talking about people, gossiping about people. It's one of the most, I'd say it's one of the most prevalent sins in the body of Christ that happens often and nobody gives any thought to it. These seven things, these seven questions that you can ask will help you immensely. You need, you you need to get this in your spirit today because one of the things that we, we always want to do Maybe you remember I did a, a series of broadcasts when I was in Rowlett, Texas, and we talked about um, the nine qualities uh, that define the Victory Tribe, the nine qualities. You can go back and watch it. I think it's a playlist on our app. Um, you can go back and see it. Nine qualities that define the Victory Tribe. I will be putting a book out on that at some point. I don't know when, but I have it slated and all the notes are done to do it. I just have to start writing it. But nine qualities that define the victory tribe. But one of the things is honor. We talked about honor. And so, uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons that we want to make sure that we're never in this position where we're, uh, gossiping about others is because you lose that, uh, number one humility, which God cannot, uh, support or bless or give his favor to somebody that's not humble. He opposes the proud. And he gives more grace to the humble, the Bible says. So we never want to find ourselves in a place of pride where God is stiff arming us. (laughs) We want his favor. We want his glory. We want his grace. So that comes from humility. But it's easy to go from speaking about a principle to bashing a person. Bashing a person. So I'm going to give you seven questions that you need to ask yourself. And it's important that you ask these questions uh, all the time. Stay introspective. And by the way, if you're just logging on, uh, take a minute to share it. And also if you heard me and you got my text and you're just logging on cause you want a cup of coffee, all the coffee is going to be available on social media. As soon as the broadcast is over and you'll be able to get Starbucks or Dunkins, uh, at your own leisure until it runs out. Um, seven questions. Let's hit them hard, write them in the comments, put them in your notes and, uh, and get these in your spirit. Number one question you need to ask yourself because a lot of stuff becomes secondhand information. First question, do I know this is true? That's a huge question and it should be asked first. Must be asked first. Number one, do I know this is true? Because a lot of times we get information from other people, secondhand information, 
We hear other people talking and say, yeah, you know what? I'm telling you, this is what happened with so-and-so. Did you hear what he did? Did you hear what he would? And, and we get the information secondhand, sometimes third hand. You know, well, you know what so-and-so told me about, he has a cousin that knows him and you know what he told me? How many of you, raise your hand if you've ever heard something like that in church or from a church friend. Yeah, I know, I know a dude that uh, is close with his cousin and his cousin told me that he, it's just like, really? How many links in the chain are there to this story? It's like, well, you're telling me, but you heard it from a friend, you know, that knows the cousin of the guy that, and it's like, dude, how, how many links are there? How many, how many, uh, steps of separation are there between you and the person that we're talking about here? And so it's like the question number one has to be, do I know this is true? Is it even true? And, and here's why it's, um, here's why it's so dangerous if it's not true, because the Bible condemns, in, f- in fact, the Bible condemns it in this way, back in the 10 commandments, you know what one of the 10 commandments was, do not bear false witness against your brother. So you're not to tell things that are not true about your brother in Christ, or even those that are, you know, I, I wouldn't do it about anybody. Don't lie about people. And the thing is, you may not be intentionally lying about somebody, but you know what? If what you're saying about them is not true, you are telling lies about them and you're propagating those lies, right? Without even knowing it, because you heard from a friend that knows a friend that knows his cousin that went on and you don't even know you couldn't. One of the, one of the uh, questions that I like to ask myself as a safeguard is this question right here uh, regarding, do I know it's true? If I was put into a courtroom, could I actually provide evidence that this thing was true? Could I provide actual evidence that this was true? If I can't provide evidence that it's true, then what am I talking about? Like, do I even know that it happened? Do I know that it's true? Alicia, we're talking about seven questions that'll keep you from gossip. If I was put in a courtroom, And they said, can you prove that so-and-so said that? Can you prove that so-and-so did that? No, I I heard from a friend that knows a friend that knows his cousin. So I, I, I was, I pretty much thought it would be true. If I can't prove it, what business do I have talking about it? What business do I have talking about it? So I always check myself before I riggedy wreck myself. No, I check myself, uh, to make sure like, you know, is this actually verifiable? Because what's the point? Well, I mean, why are we even, is, is one of the reasons that we do it to really make ourselves look better than somebody else? Is one of the reasons that we do it so that we can look uh, higher and like we, we're, we're better? That, you know, that's, that's what I find people do is, is they like to compare themselves uh, in a negative way to somebody and be like, well, at least I'm not like this person. Did you hear what he did? And then it, it, is that to prop you up? right? So we have to ask ourselves the question, number one, is this thing even true? Is it even true? And then number, number two, the second question that'll keep you from gossip, because, um, it really does, this does matter in a massive way. I asked myself the question, am I in position to correct them personally? That's question number two. Am I in position to correct them personally. 
you know, you may, you may hear, um, you may hear somebody say, well, did you hear what this preacher said? And then you start, people start gossiping, talking about them, whatever. But then I ask myself, am I in position to correct that person personally? Meaning, do I have their phone number? Do I know them? Could I actually go to them and, uh, and start, you know, say, listen, what you're saying's wrong. Uh, so I know it's true. Maybe I even heard them say it. But a question I have is, am I in position to correct them personally? This is going to make more sense here in a second because you say, well, why does that matter? If you know they said it is wrong. No, here's why it's important. Because if I'm not in position to correct them personally, then I can't do biblically what I'm commanded to do if I was offended by something they said or did. So for example, um, let me give it to you this way. If somebody did say something that's wrong or whatever, and I know, but I don't know them. Number one, I don't care because first of all, it's not going to directly affect my life. Second of all, I can still condemn the principle without condemning the person, right? I can still condemn the principle without condemning the person. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. Thank you, dad. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, you know, doctor, doc, you know, you talk about uh, a person that may have said something or he's doing something wrong or he's attacking people of the faith or whatever that might be. I can actually address the principle of what he's doing or she's doing that is wrong without actually attacking the person themselves. Because you think about the fact that uh, people make mistakes, but that what if that person's a brother or sister in Christ? And are your, is your business to tear them down? Is your business to, uh, you know, come against them personally? No, it's not. But we can know that the principle is wrong and we can address the principle with people. You know, I've done that multiple times when preaching because I've heard preachers that preach stuff that is truly false doctrine and it is uh, harmful to Christians. But I don't have to attack the person. I can preach about the actual issue and I can deal with the principle and not the person. And so the question number two is, am I in, am I in position to correct them personally? And, uh, you know, just, you know, you, you start to realize, you know, because if you can't, if you're not in that position, you can't do what the Bible says. You can't do what the Bible says, which we'll deal with in a minute. And, and, and so you have to understand, uh, I got to get thicker skin than that. I got to just understand that, like, if somebody's out saying something or doing something that I disagree with, I know it's wrong. I know that it's against the, what the word of God says. I, I don't have to bash that person. I can talk about the principle with others. Now, there might be a teaching, that we, and here's something that you know I've done on this broadcast often, which is, you know, for example, the teaching of hyper grace. I, ha, I know that the hyper grace message, according to scripture, is false doctrine. It's straight up false doctrine that has made uh, many Christians comfortable in sin. And so I, I know it's false, but I don't have to go after the preachers who preach it by name. I don't have to go after them. I can preach the principle and show you from scripture where it's in error 
so that when, if you ever hear it, you already know in your spirit, no, that's wrong. Cause the Bible says this, no, that's wrong. Cause the Bible says that, but I don't have to attack, uh, other preachers that are preaching that because they believe it's true. I don't have to talk about them or, t- or, 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 you know, mention their name even now I, there comes a time it's, it's not always wrong to mention a name. You might be able to, because if that's one of the uh, main people propagating that thought, you might have to mention it and say, you may have read this book by so-and-so you may have read this book by so-and-so, but the principle is not, but you can do it in a way where you're not destroying them and saying, you know, uh, completely bashing that person as an individual. You can point at the things they're saying and show from the word where it's wrong without bashing the person as an individual. There's people, I'm gonna be honest with you. There's, there's nationally known men of God that I love that I actually support. Uh, meaning I, I, I love their ministry. I would go hear them preach, but I don't agree with everything they've ever said because people are fallible. People are not perfect. So they may say something that is not, they may have made a mistake. I love them. I love what they stand for, but I don't agree with every single thing they've ever preached, but I'm not going to go out bashing them and say, this so-and-so is a false prophet and they don't get the word of God, right? You know, I'm not doing that. I'll, I'll deal with the principle. And I have done that. I have done that. There's certain ministers. If you'll remember back, we did a broadcast on this channel where we talked about one of the greatest heresies, uh, in the Pentecostal slash word of faith, charismatic movement. And I dealt with the thought process that there are some who teach that Jesus went to hell and suffered in hell under the authority of the devil. They actually teach and believe that, that Jesus not only went to hell and the Bible tells us he went to the lower parts of the earth, but it also tells us where he went paradise. Jesus said it out of his own mouth, but they, they teach that he went into Hades and that the Satan had control over Christ's spirit and that he made him suffer under the, you know, under the earth and all of that, that Jesus stopped being the son of God and that Jesus had to get saved in hell and all this, all this stuff that the Bible does not teach. And, uh, it's, it's actually, uh, against the word of God because Colossians tells us that Jesus canceled the payment or, or, or the debt by paying, by nailing it to the cross, Colossians chapter two. The payment was settled when he nailed it to the cross. When he said it is finished, it was finished. And so I don't have to call these men out by name and say, so-and-so is teaching false doctrine. And so I don't have to do that. I can teach you the principle and show you in scripture where Jesus went, what he did. You see what I mean? Without bashing them, because I love them. I love them. So you don't have to bash somebody because they did said or did one thing you didn't care for, or even that was wrong, even that was false, right? So you have to understand, am I in position to correct them personally? And the answer most of the time is no, I'm not. So the third, the third question is, if that's the case, especially if it's a man or woman of God, here's a question you could ask yourself. Why do I feel comfortable publicly mocking or correcting them by name? There's there's the third question, and it's a good question. Why do I feel comfortable publicly mocking them or correcting them by name? It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who it is. I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Here's somebody that I wouldn't I wouldn't agree, and they wouldn't agree with me. They would probably call me a false teacher, false prophet. 
uh, everything under the sun, say that I'm, my, my theology is uh, aberrant or aberrant and say that I'm out there and, you know, Dr. John MacArthur. Dr. John MacArthur wouldn't agree with anything in our ministry. Not anything. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, he's the one that did the strange fire conference, mocked Pentecostals, mocked charismatics, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, other Pentecostals. And, you know, but there are some things that Dr. John MacArthur teaches and teaches very well that I'm very thankful for. You know, I don't think you're going to find anybody that's stronger than he is on the fact that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God and, and stands on that wholeheartedly would be able to teach it so deeply that it would have to drive out any doubt and, and, and stands for that, that God's word is true. It's inspired. It's inerrant and could probably teach that better than most Pentecostals or charismatics and be able to go into a deep. Well, I, I agree with that. When there are many people in this generation who have walked away from believing that Christians, that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God breathed out of God's mouth. Second Timothy three sixteen. Well, I appreciate how strong he preaches that I watched an interview where he was on Larry King live, uh, where they sat him right next to a homosexual and they had back then it wasn't uh, governor Newsom. It was uh, mayor Newsom who was bucking the uh, decision of the president and the Supreme court about same sex marriage and just giving out same sex marriage licenses in San Francisco, uh, which was mayor, uh, Gavin Newsom. And, uh, they asked him straight up on the program where many other Pentecostal and charismatic ministers have failed at this on national television shows. Do you think homosexuality is a sin? Do you think it would send you to hell? And with a homosexual sitting right next to him, Dr. John MacArthur turned and said, now, listen, I don't, you know, and basically laid out the gospel. You know, you, it, it is something that will send you to hell. And if you don't receive Jesus and if you don't turn from sin, you will go to, stood for it, stood for holiness, stood for holiness when other people wouldn't do so. Um, you know, so many things wouldn't shut the church down during last year's lockdown, refused to shut his church down. I, I, I'm thankful for his boldness on that matter. So am I going to stand up? No, I'm not going to just uh, rip into people. God bless them. They don't, they don't, they have a different, a totally different belief system. And they may mock Pentecostals and they may mock charismatics, but you know what? You have to treat people like a brother and sister in Christ. You can disagree with their views and what they teach and how they believe without bashing them, without hating them, without, and, and, and here's the question. Yes, I know the things that John MacArthur said and done are true. Am I in position to correct him personally? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're not going to, you're not going to see me put up a video on my YouTube channel with like a thumbnail of John MacArthur at his pulpit and me on the other side going like this, like people do on YouTube. Uh, and then is John MacArthur a, a demonic false prophet and then sit here for an hour and break down his message? I don't have time to do that foolishness just to get views on a video. I don't have time for that to play off his name because he's famous and people search for John MacArthur. So if I do a bash, a bashing video of John MacArthur, people are going to pull it up from his name. I don't have time for that nonsense. God bless him. You know, I was actually 
Uh, I was preaching the other night. I was like, you know, it's sad to me. In all honesty, when Dr. John MacArthur has, has been a minister for this many years, it actually made me laugh. I was joking about it in Logan. I was like, you know, it's, it's a rough thing. Here's guys that bash the prosperity message. They, whatever, and you, you can say whatever you want. But like, you know, when you see Dr. John MacArthur who's wearing that nice Rolex watch that they bought him, it's like, why did they have to make a video explaining away why they bought Dr. John MacArthur a, a Rolex? Buy the man a Rolex. I mean, he's been in the ministry for who knows how many years. He's been faithful. I don't care if he wears a Rolex. I don't care if he drives around in a Rolls Royce and has 15 houses. Let him be blessed. You don't have to put out a video for me, explain a, why were church funds spent. Bless the man. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to bash him, but he's wearing a Rolex. Let him wear a Rolex. Who cares? Bless him. Am, the question, am I in position to correct him personally? No, I'm not. I don't know Dr. MacArthur. I've never met him. I don't have relationship with him. I, you know, I know people that may know him distantly. I, I don't have, have any position to correct Dr. Plus he's an older minister than I am and has been faithful for more years than I have. I'm in no position to correct him personally. So the third, the third question, why do I feel comfortable publicly mocking him or correcting him by name? Now I can deal with the things that he said and show you in the word why I disagree with them. Then question number four, if I do know somebody, have I talked with them personally? Because this is what the Bible commands. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 together. And I want to show you something that's going to help you. It's going to keep you from this trap and it's going to help you to be blessed abundantly. Matthew chapter 18. You say, well, Paul called people out. Yes, he did, but he was the apostle Paul. And these were people that were actively working against his ministry. You know, Dr. Jean MacArthur's never worked against my ministry. Never did me much harm. <laughs> He's never done me much harm. You know what I mean? These were people that were actively working against Paul's ministry as he was establishing the Christian church after the resurrection. <laughs> he's like, you know, I'm calling out the coppersmith because he's done me much harm. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, in, in, in John, you know, you read, you, if you read what John wrote to, to Asia minor, he calls out people that were trying to hinder other people from sowing into traveling teachers and traveling ministers. Said so he tries to keep others from giving to their ministries and I'll be dealing with it. You know, it's like, listen, there's nobody, it hasn't done me much harm. He's not standing against my ministry. And even if he was, whatever, if God's for you, who can be against you? So the question number four is, if I know them, have I talked with them personally? Now here's the opposite side of the coin. Do I know the person? Because if I do know them, it's a whole different set of rules. Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17. Let's read it. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Listen, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Hold on there. It doesn't say tell Facebook about his fault. Tell Instagram about his fault. Tell TikTok about his fault. Tell Twitter about his fault tell your closest friends about his fault. No, it says, go and tell him about his fault. And if he listens to you, then you've gained your brother. 
Verse 16, but if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You see that fully removing yourself. A wicked person is, is really what it was getting across to us. An outsider. So if they're not going to listen to you and they won't listen to you with witnesses there and they reject even the correction of the church, then they're not part of you. Treat them like an outsider. And so there's three stages, but did you notice what the first stage was? Deal with them personally, one-on-one. Think about something. How much problem, drama, issues would be saved if instead of talking about it on social media, instead of talking about it with your closest friends, that if somebody had an issue with you, you went and dealt with them one-on-one, personally. Give them them an opportunity to explain. Maybe Maybe you misunderstood what they said. Maybe... Um, and by the way, before we finish this, I'm going to give you an excellent tip that's going to help you anytime you have conflict with somebody, a disagreement, an argument, whatever it might be. I'm going to give you a, a pro pro tip on how you can number one, uh, deescalate that situation. And number two, you might be even able to turn it into your own favor and make sure that thing doesn't turn out as a conflict, but actually turns out as a good conversation where you're able to minister to one another. I'm gonna give you that before we finish, but, but check this out. If I went to somebody personally and dealt with them and said, you know what? I was actually, this bothered me that you said this about me and uh, I just wanted to talk to you about it. What is it that, why, why did you say that about me? I mean, what, what, what did you hear? Did somebody say something to you that was not true? Cause I can clear it up right now. Let me know what's going on. Are we cool? I mean. You know, talk to them, talk to them, deal with the person. That's what the Bible says. And if they're still uh, standing in that place of that, where they're stubbornly, no, I tell you, I, I don't like you. Bring back witnesses. Listen, I'm trying to approach this man in love, I'm trying to approach this woman in love and peace. I'm trying to make peace because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm trying to make peace with this person and they want to keep on in bitterness and strife and problems. So I got witnesses with me now to let let them see. I'm trying to reach out to you in love and peace. If they still won't receive it, get spiritual leadership, leadership involved. This is the answer if you tried, Diane. There's step-by-step process. It's you first. It's you with witnesses second. And and third, it's you with spiritual leadership. Let the pastor know. I've tried to work this out. I've tried to do it now, obviously, if the person does not attend your church and the pastor has no authority over them, then it's not going to really make much of a difference if you let the pastor know. And if it's a sinner, it's not going to make much of a difference anyway, because they're not living for the Lord. They're going to do whatever they feel like doing and do whatever they feel like doing. But this is talking about, uh, you know, an actual believer. I mean, obviously here there were no believers cause Jesus hadn't died yet, but it's talking about your brother, those in the family of God. Maybe they have a pastor. Maybe they don't attend your church, but you let spiritual leadership. Now I'm trying to deal with this issue. That's what the Bible says to do. If people would just handle things the way the Bible says to handle them, you'd have far less issues, drama, and problems. Far less. And life would be smooth. 
Have you, appro- have you approached them and talked with them personally? Number five, fifth question. Would you say what you're saying to that person's face? That's the fifth question. Would I say this to their face? Anything I'm saying about a person to someone else, would I say it if that person was in the room? Would I say it to their face? Because if I wouldn't actually say it to their face, you got to ask yourself, why am I saying it at all? What's the point of me saying what I'm saying? You know, I'm sure there are many things. And I know many people that have been blessed by Pastor Joseph Prince's ministry. I've dealt with his theology on the hyper grace message on this broadcast many times. I've told people like some of the books like Destined to Reign and other books that he's released. I've read them. I'm not going to bash them without reading them. I've read them and there's things in there that, you know, it would encourage you, but there's other things that are, uh, biblically inaccurate and dangerous if you believe in that way. But you say, you say, well, you you talk real big. If Joseph Prince was here in the studio, I would disagree with him here. And all the same things that I'm saying about this doctrine of hyper grace, I would say to him, I'd say it respectfully and I would say it in love, but I would say the same things. I wouldn't change it. Well, he's here. I'm not going to really, be. no, I would say the same things to him. If he was here, very same things to him. If he was in the studio. So you ask yourself, if they were here, would I say the same thing? Would I say this to their face? You see what I mean? Like, Why would you say something behind someone's back that you wouldn't say to them personally? When the Bible says you should be saying it to them personally first, this will keep us in check. This will big time keep us in check. How do I say something in love instead of in a spirit of anger, in a spirit of, uh, you know, whatever it might be offense. I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be outside of love. It keeps me. (laughs) Brian said to your face, did Ted Jr. really preach for you, for us in waders? Yes, yes, he did. I put those waders on, preached in them and baptized people in them. <laughs> Luanda said, it's good. I asked myself, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? If you answer no to any of these, then don't say anything. Great point. Number five, you have to ask yourself, would I say it to their face? If not, then why am I saying it? Ask yourself, why am I saying it? Sixth thing you need to deal with, especially if, think about this, if it's a minister of the gospel, ask this question, why am I comfortable touching God's anointed? There's a question. Why am I comfortable touching God's anointed ones? Well, I just don't like how they do it. Okay. Well, God called them, not you. So let God judge them, not you right? Now it's one thing to disagree with somebody's doctrine or theology. It's one thing to have a different thought process in that area and show from the word of God, why you believe differently. But if God called a person who is a fallible person, they're not perfect. They will make mistakes. The question you have to ask is why do I feel comfortable touching God's anointed? Why do I feel comfortable mocking God's anointed? Why would I feel that way? You know, you think about the ark in the Old Testament. That's God's anointed ark. No one was to touch it. And now watch this. As the oxen stumbled and the cart shook, the ark looked like it was going to fall. 
And Uzzah reached out his hand and touched the ark to steady it. And God struck him dead on the, on the spot. Why? He touched the anointed thing God said, don't touch. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Why do I feel comfortable touching God's anointed people? Why do I feel comfortable? That's a problem in me. So why do I feel comfortable touching God's anointed ones? Doing his prophets harm. I don't feel comfortable with that. And so I'm keeping myself in check. Would I say it to their face? And why do I, why have I gotten comfortable? Why have I gotten comfortable touching God? The ones God called, he's the one that will judge them. They're not my ministers. They're God's ministers, right? They're not, they're not my servants. They're God's servants. He's the one that will deal with them and deal out to each man and each woman what they should have according to his grace and glory. So I let God deal with those things. I stay on my course. I heard, um, you know, whatever you may think of him. I heard uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes say one time, um, I say that because there's people that, that log on, they're big T.D. Jakes fans. And there's other people that log on. They don't like T.D. Jakes and whatever. Why are you comfortable touching God's <laughs> I heard him say this one time and I thought, man, what a great thought. He said, um, cause somebody asked him about comparison and other ministries. And somebody asked him about, uh, being critical and others being critical of him and him being critical of others. He said, to be honest with you, he said, I actually don't have time to be critical. He said, I don't have time. He said, you know, I'm so busy running my race to finish my course that I don't have time to inspect everything everybody else is doing and criticize it. And I thought that was such a great, great way of thinking because he brought it from the scripture where, where the Bible says um, that we're to run our race and finish our course. You know what Paul said? He said, I'm running, and he instructed them, run that you may obtain. We're not shadow boxing. We're not beating the air. We're running that we may obtain. It's a race. And you think about the analogy. What if you were running like in the Olympics on that track and you were in your lane and all of a sudden you just decided to turn as you're running to inspect the, <laughs> the form and the technique of the person running next to you? Do you know you'd have to slow down to do that? You'd have to slow down to do that. You cannot run full out towards your goal and, 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 and then also stop to inspect someone's form and technique. And we've got a lot of Christians in the body of Christ that they're not running their race. They are being critical, inspecting and criticizing someone else's race, how they run, what they do, what they say. And I love that Bishop Jake said, I'm too busy running my own race and doing my thing to, to criticize somebody else's race too busy. Chris is watching. I, I, I take it from your, Chris, you're in Mesa. I, I take from your, your screen name that you, you do uh, mixed martial arts and you do some fighting with mixed martial arts. Can you imagine if while you are training or while you're actually in a fight, if instead of focusing on uh, your game plan and fighting that other person, that all you did was sit around and, <laughs> and critique their, and critique their form and style, you're going to get knocked out.
You're going to get knocked out. And so that's key. And that's, and Adam's back again. And that's true, Adam. They put blinders on horses. And, and not only just so they slow down, look at the other horses, but so that they'll never be spooked by what else is going on to the sides in their peripheral vision. Because you don't want a, a horse that is uh, doing a task like pulling a carriage or whatever to be spooked and then take off like crazy because he doesn't have the blinders on. And the blinders are so important. I can't criticize other people what they're doing. Uh, that's not my job. My job is to do what the Lord told me to do. And so you see it here as we're looking at this, this sixth thing, which is this. Why am I comfortable touching God's anointed? And then the seventh thing that we need to ask ourselves, which I think is extremely important, is why haven't I made room for someone else's faults? So here's the, here's the question. If I'm in, and I've, I've said it this way, which helped a lot of people on the broadcast. If I've got, um, people in my church or people, whatever it might be, friends that are Christians or whatever, I know people aren't perfect. I understand that. So if I know it plan for it, you know, people get so offended so quickly. They get so offended so quickly. They're like, well, can you, I can't believe he said that to me. Can you believe what he said? They get offended so quickly, not even realizing what kind of, you don't even realize maybe that person was having the worst day of their life. And they're just like under an immense amount of stress and said something to you or about you that, that they didn't, you know, it's not that they, that's who they are or what they meant. It's just that that's what they're dealing with. You don't ever think about that. You know, people aren't perfect. They make mistakes. And so the question is, and I'm going to show it to you from the scripture. Why haven't we made room for someone else's faults as the Bible says to <laughs> Rob, you're funny. Rob said, wait, you're not perfect. Colossians 3:13. Look at this. Such a powerful, powerful verse. Actually, I'm going to read you verses 12 and 13. You need to highlight these in your Bible. You need to mark them up. You need to have them like, I mean, in all honesty, you need to have those things marked, highlighted notes, underlined. Listen to this now. So powerful. The Bible says, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and said, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now look at this, 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let me, let me show this to you from the, uh, which I love how the new living translation rendered this verse. Cause it'll give you an understanding of how important it is to do this thing. It'll save you a lot of drama. Listen to this Colossians three thirteen, new living make allowance for each other's faults. How's the ESV say it? Bearing with one another. Make allowance for one another's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance. You understand people are going <laughs> to make mistakes. I get it. I get it. 
I'm not going to be the guy that every time you, you know, make them, I'm going to start freaking out and calling you out. And I'm not doing that. And if you would create a buffer zone, let me help you with this. Create for yourself a buffer zone. What is the buffer zone? It is you saying, you know what? I know that people are going to make mistakes. I know people won't even be nice to me all the time. They may not, they may say something that offends me, whatever. I've got a buffer zone. It's that me making allowance for somebody else's fault. You can boom, you right. It's like a bumper. It's like a bumper. I, here's all my space I'm giving you because I know you're not a perfect person. You might make a mistake. And if you do, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to get bent out of shape. I'm not going to lose the victory. I'm making allowance. I'm making allowance. Listen to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see that? We've got to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. There, there's so much power in unity. People don't get it. The devil wants to divide us, divide the body of Christ, get us fighting each other, mad at each other, issues with each other. Maintain the unity of peace. Maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's so important. Am I walking to bring unity in the body? Maintain peace. Is that what I'm doing? Or am I always stirring up problems? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Am I always stirring up problems? Am I always having an issue with somebody? Am I always offended? Right? So now let me give you that pro tip I told you I was going to give you. Those, those are the questions we need to ask. Let me, let me hit them again quickly. Number one, do I know it's true? Number two, am I in position to correct them personally? Number three, why do I feel comfortable mocking them publicly or correcting them by name? Number four, if I know them, have I spoken to them personally? Number five, would I say it to their face? Number six, why would I be comfortable touching God's anointed? And number seven, why haven't I made room for somebody else's faults? Here's the other thing I want to give you. There's a great book that was produced um, by a man named Gregory Kokel. And I believe it's K-O-K-L is, the, is his last name. Gregory Kokel. He wrote an awesome book called Tactics. I've mentioned it on the broadcast before, Tactics. It's got, I think it's got a chessboard on the front with like a, a horse, like one of the knights on, on one of the chess squares. And the book is how to deal with people when you're having conversations about things that are important, things about the Bible, you know, scriptural things, whatever it might be. It's called tactics in that book tactics. One of the best tactics that he does give you is he says, when, when somebody is discussing something with you, uh, there it is. K O U K L Gregory Kokel. There's the book for everybody in the comments tactics by Gregory Kokel. Um, one of the tactics he gives that is so powerful in my opinion He says, when you're having a conversation with somebody about something, whatever it might be, 
He said the, the best question you can ask, the very best question you can ask is this one. What do you mean by that? That's the question. What do you mean by that? You're sitting there having a question with somebody and whatever. And, um, they say something, well, I don't like this. I don't care for, you know, you know, I go to the church. Oh, well, I just don't like Pentecostals. Okay. Well then you, as you, as a Pentecostal might automatically get, get on the defense and bent out of shape. What's wrong with Pentecostals? I'm Pentecostal. What's the problem? Here's what you do instead. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by Pentecostals? You know why this is so important? Because what I've found after 20 years of ministry, I promise you, I found this so often, which is why this is such a genius thing in the book is that when you're talking to somebody, it doesn't matter if they, they use a term that, you know, and it's a term that they think they know you might be talking about two different things, completely different things and not even know it. And you're trying to defend it and they're attacking it and you don't even know what you're defending and they don't even know what they're attacking. And so one of the things that he says right off the bat is ask the question in humility. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean by Pentecostals? Cause what if let's, let's say for example, you were having a conversation with somebody and you were like, uh, depending on where you were, let's say you were in the South. You say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going over to this church now. I've been going there for a couple months. I really love it. Well, I would never go there. Why wouldn't you go? Well, I, I don't, I can't stand Pentecostals. Well, instead of getting bent out of shape, say, well, then you got a problem because Pentecostal is the way to go. You know, God sent the Holy Spirit to the church on the day of Pentecost. You can do all that, but watch what would happen here. Let's say this was the situation. Well, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by Pentecostals? See, because they say they don't like Pentecostals. Well, they, how do they define Pentecostals? All right. So, cause here's what you might hear. Well, I don't agree with, uh, I don't, I don't, what do you mean by, by Pentecostals? Well, I think they're nuts. I don't, I don't, I don't agree how they're out there just like handling snakes and drinking, you know, drinking strychnine poison and all this, you know, that stuff, that's crazy. You know, out there, well, we don't do that. <laughs> that's not what Pentecostal means, bro. That's not what Pentecostal is. That's what a few nut jobs may have done, but that's not what defines Pentecostalism. And that's not what it is. So now you get to, instead of defending something, you don't even know you're defending the wrong thing. And he's, you know, he's getting mad. Well, I can't believe you'd get with that. It's like, bro, that's not even what it is. So you ask the question, what do you mean by Pentecostals? Well, in his mind, that's what defines Pentecostals. They handle snakes and they drink poison based on Mark 16. And so, yeah, I don't agree with all that. Okay. Well, that's not what it is. So let's have a conversation now about what it actually is, what it means, right? You have, you have these, uh, uh, the, these things, what you find is no matter who you talk to, people have preconceived ideas in their mind about what something is or is not right. So you, you, you might look at somebody and say, they might say to you like, oh, I can't stand that prosperity gospel. And then you stop them in their tracks. I did this one time at a Walmart. I, I was in there looking at some books and, um, <laughs> a, a guy that came over to me that was also a minister and he, I, he saw the book I was looking at and he started making fun of me. He's like, huh, it's probably one of those name it, claim it books. And I was younger back then. I didn't, I, but I still knew to do this. I said, um, 
What do you mean by the name it, claim it? He said, well, you know, that doctrine, you know, they all preach those guys, you know, they preach that you just speak things into existence. I said, you do realize that we're Pentecostal preachers, don't you? I said, you do realize that we believe there's power in the words we speak, that things change when we speak the word of God. I said, you do realize that. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I didn't, I, and then by the time I got done talking, he was like, well, I never thought of it like that. Well, think of it like that. You know, people just bash things because they've heard other people bash things. They, they've, they, they start, they, they go against because just because they heard somebody else, they couldn't tell you why. That's why it's important to get to the bottom of it. What do you mean by, well, I don't care for that word of faith. What do you mean by word? I don't care for that prosperity gospel. What do you mean by prosperity gospel? I'll tell them right off the bat. What do you mean by the prosperity gospel? I want to hear them define it. I want to hear them talk about it. See, because the more information, watch this now. You already know everything you know. What I'm trying to find out is what other people know and what other people think. I'm actually trying to get alternate perspectives. <laughs> this, this is where a lot of people, they, they miss it because they only want to ever hear what they know. They only want to ever hear what they believe. They want to ever, only ever hear what their camp and their people say. That's a mistake. You're pigeonholed into that one thought process. And here's the deal. If we read 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible says that we're always to be ready to give an answer or make a defense, apologia, or apologia, if you want to say it the way that the Greeks would say it. Make a defense for what you believe, for the hope that lies within you. How can you make a defense if you don't know the other side of the argument? You don't even know what they're saying against what you believe. You've got to be ready to make a defense. So how can we do that as Christians if we only ever hear our side of the story? I don't just read uh, books by Pentecostals. I read books by people that disagree with Pentecostalism. You know why? Because they're going to be some of the greatest arguments against what I believe. Do I really believe what I believe if I can't defend it? That's the question I ask. Do I really believe what I believe if I can't defend what I believe? If I can't take you into the scripture and show you from the word of God why I believe what I believe, do I even believe it? Can I make a defense for it? If somebody sat me down and be like, well, why do you even believe that Jesus is healing people today? Why do you even believe that God's a healer? You know, you know what my answer is not going to be? My answer is not, well, I guess because they, they, they preach it at my church. That's not my, that's not an answer. That's not an answer. Right? I'm not going to say, well, I guess the reason I believe it's because my pastor preached on it. No, that's not an answer. Can I, going back to that first thing, could I prove it in court from the word of God? I'll make a defense for it. Absolutely. I'll stand up like a lawyer. Oh, the reason I believe it? Oh, no question. I believe it. Do I believe he's a healer? You better believe it. Why? First of all, because he said, I'm the God that heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. And then he said again in Malachi, I'm the Lord, your God. I do not change. I do not change. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. 
Not only did we see healing in the Old Testament, I saw it as Jesus ministered it to people. And then he empowered the apostles and the church to heal the sick and then commanded them to lay their hands on the sick. And then in the Bible, New Testament after Jesus died, the apostles were still healing the sick in the name of Jesus. The early church was healing the sick in the name of Jesus. And in the book of James, towards the end, we see it. It's commanded, are there any sick people among you? Let them call for the elders of the church who will lay their hands upon them and anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. I believe that God is still healing the sick today because he does not change. His character doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. And he commands us to lay hands on the sick and so that they can recover. Why would he command that if he was no longer doing it? See, I have the ability to make a defense for what I believe. If somebody ever said that healing stuff's nonsense. Oh, really? Because there's Christians that'll tell you that. That healing stuff, I don't know if I believe in all that divine healing. Oh, really? Well, then you don't believe the Bible you hold and call the word of God. You got to make a defense. So one of the best, best pro tips you can have. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by you don't believe in divine healing? You know, you know, one of the things that, uh, it's funny to do, there's this thing called cognitive dissonance. It's when people don't believe, they say they don't believe something, they stand against it. And then you can actually show them how they have internal thoughts that contradict each other. And it's that realization that like, I say, I don't believe this and I don't believe it. And I stand against it. But then I also have other beliefs that say that I do believe it. <laughs> It's called cognitive dissonance. And when you can show somebody, cause like the funniest thing ever is to be like, people say, well, I don't believe in that prosperity. And I'll say, well, what do you mean by you don't believe in prosperity? Well, you know, there's these preachers that preach that, you know, all, all about prosperity. I say, well, and I'll say, well, what, what is prosperity? What is prosperity? Is it not God blessing you so that you can do well, succeed? Well, yeah, you know, they preach that, the, okay. So let me ask you a question then. Do you not believe that God wants to bless his children? Well, you know, I'm not saying that. That's, that's where they go. I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless his children. Well, wait, well, what are you saying then? So, for, so let me ask you, do you believe God's powerful? Well, of course he's powerful. He's the all powerful God. Okay. He's powerful. Do you believe he loves his children? Well, of course he loves his children. You think I'm a dummy? Of course God. Well, okay. So he's all powerful and he loves his children. Number three, do you think he's interested in blessing his children or cursing his children? Then you take them to Matthew seven and you say, well, what did Jesus say about it? He said, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those that ask him? So are you telling me that Jesus was wrong when he said God wants to give good gifts to his children, that he wants to bless his children? that if we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these other things would be added unto us. Is that all false? You, you said you believe God's powerful. You said that you believe that he loves his children. You said that he's interested in blessing his children. So why do you think it's wrong to preach and teach that God wants to abundantly bless his children? That is what prosperity is to do well, to succeed. Well, you know, I, I just don't believe and if they're stubborn, they'll try to like come up with some, that something they can't back up with any scripture. Well, you know, I just don't believe that, you know, that they, that God wants you driving around in a Mercedes. 
<laughs> They'll say something like that. I've heard it a hundred million times. Well, I just don't believe God wants you to drive around Mercedes. Oh, you think a Mercedes is a big deal to God, do you? You think, I'll just put it in perspective for him because I want them to hear it. You think God is sitting on a throne in heaven where the streets, the streets, what you walk on is pure gold. The gates of heaven, according to scripture, are made of one pearl. That's a massive pearl. Gates made of pearl, abundance beyond any measure. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is his and the gold is his. Everything is his. And you think a Mercedes bothers God. That's where you're at in life. That's where you're at in your theology. I mean, I'll ask him straight out. Well, I just don't believe God wants people driving around Mercedes. Oh, really? You think God has a problem with a Mercedes Benz. That's where your theology is. (laughs) People are so shallow in their belief about what God can do and what he wants to do. I've never met people that have tried so hard to explain away or to stop God from blessing his own children. Even R.C. Sproul, the famous reformed theologian, Calvinist, you know, that you know, would never even think about preaching the quote unquote prosperity gospel. He, in his book called, now that's a good question. It was a question and answer book he put out. There was a section where the questions were, do you think God is interested in the economic well-being of his children? You know what his answer was? Of course he's interested in it. <laughs> even reformed theologian R.C. Sproul had to admit, of course God is interested in blessing his children financially. He's interested in the, in the well-being of his kids. No, that's not true, Adam. It's funny how people don't understand how God works. It's not wealth that makes you happy. It's so funny that people don't get that. It's not wealth that makes you happy. It's the spirit of God that brings you joy. That's why, and I'm sure Adam's never read this verse of scripture before, but the Bible says in Proverbs 10, that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow unto it. You see that there's a difference between gaining wealth in the world as a sinner and still having all of the sorrow that continues on with your life. It's one thing to win the lottery as a sinner, and then because of the state of your life, you have the issue that you're still addicted, you still have problems and all these different things. You have no joy of the Lord. Adam's right. Jesus did told, tell a rich man to sell all his possessions and give them to the poor. And the rich man didn't do it. But how many other people in the Bible did Jesus tell to sell all their possessions and give them to the poor? Not one other person, even his disciples. Here's a thought for you, Adam, if you're studying the Bible later, I don't know if you do study the Bible, but if you do, here's a thought that's interesting. Why did Jesus never tell any of his disciples to do that? Why did, after Peter was his disciple for three years, did Peter still own fishing boats and a business? Why did he still have a house that was big enough to house all the disciples and Jesus and his mother-in-law, which the Bible says that he did? Isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus never say any of those things to his disciples? Why did his disciples never sell all their possessions? Because that's not a requirement of Christians. 
that Jesus understood that that man had an issue with possessions owning him. And there it is. And there it is. And if, this is the thing that people never understand. If God's so against his people being financially blessed, why did he use financial blessing as a promise for his goodness? Why did he bless Abraham with silver and gold in abundance and livestock, cattle, everything in abundance? No, it doesn't. See, this is, Adam's saying the Old Testament contradicts the New Testament a lot. This is someone who has not studied the Bible and doesn't understand the Bible. Because when you understand that the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, then you have no issues. Adam, I would encourage you to sign up for Miracle Word University. There's the information on the screen. It will help you to understand what you don't understand. This is somebody who's like, this is what happens. People have done like several Google searches and found a couple YouTube videos from an atheist who doesn't believe the Bible and makes arguments of things that are easily understood by anybody that has even a small knowledge of Bible study. It's not even like, it's not even like a hard argument. It's just that people don't want to, and of course, if you're not a Christian, why would you study the Bible? Unless you're like an atheist that wanted to debate Christians. But people don't give themselves to Bible study. And then their, thro- their life, their whole life is thrown off by a, such an easy question. Such an easy question. There, you know what made me sad? There were Christian singers and, and famous uh, bands and stuff. They've left the faith because they can't answer simple questions about the faith and their pastors will answer to God for that. I actually saw one that left and when they put up the questions that he had about Christianity, I was like, good Lord, these are like easy, easy questions to answer. And his pastor couldn't answer those questions. His pastor couldn't answer those questions for him. Pastors will answer to God by not preparing people for, for the actual questions that are out there. That's why, why I quit, why I quoted uh, first Peter chapter three, you've got to be ready to give or make a defense, give an answer. When people have questions regarding the hope that lies within you, the question, what do you mean by that? That's a pro tip. It'll help you in every conversation. What do you mean by that? Because when you break down where people actually stand, then you'll begin to see, I can have a more meaningful conversation and even lead somebody to Jesus when they realize that's not even, I don't even understand what I'm talking about in the first place. It'll help you. But one of the things that we have to take authority over in our own personal lives, because it's rampant through the body of Christ, is people gossiping about other people. You have to stay free and stay in humility, stay in meekness, stay in love, stay in joy. Don't let the enemy steal your peace, steal your joy, steal your love because of mistakes somebody else made. Because there's, listen, if you live, if you live with people, they will make mistakes. There's no way to get away from people. They will make mistakes, but don't be dragged down. Don't be dragged down by somebody else's mistake. Stay in faith, stay in love, stay in joy and stay in peace. Here's a great, here's a great example of, of Adam not understanding, uh, even religious history 
or Bible prophecy. Isn't it interesting that Jesus rode on a donkey instead of a horse? No, he rode on a donkey, Adam, not because it was a sign of humility, not at all. He rode on a donkey because it was Bible prophecy that he would. Zechariah chapter nine, Jesus rode on a donkey because it was prophesied hundreds of years before that he would ride on a donkey. That was an exact Bible prophecy coming to pass. Exact Bible prophecy coming to pass. There's things, this is what I mean. People don't just, they, they don't understand because they've never studied. And again, I want to encourage you, Adam, sign up for Miracle Word University and learn. You will learn so much. You'll be so blessed. You'll be so blessed. Let me pray for those of you that are watching today. It's Breakthrough Friday. Carolyn's going to be in here at two. You do not want to miss today at two o'clock. It's going to be awesome. She had a great meeting in Massachusetts. It was powerful. You're going to get to see and hear more about that today. But let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those that are watching, those that are listening on the podcast. Let this be the greatest end of a year that they've ever had in Jesus' mighty name. I pray, Lord, by the power of your spirit, that you would touch every one of us. Put a fresh humility in us, a fresh meekness. Don't let pride come anywhere close to our lives not anywhere close. I pray, Lord, that you would always keep us in supernatural blessing. Use us to make an impact on this generation before it's too late, before Jesus comes. I pray, Lord, for Adam. I pray that you would touch him, touch his family. I pray pray that you would bless him. Lord, whatever the enemy is using to destroy his life, I pray that you would bless him. I pray that you'd bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would convict him of sin, bring him into the kingdom and bless him abundantly. I pray that you would use him to bring souls in before it's too late. I pray before Jesus comes that whatever it was that was keeping him in an invisible prison, open the doors for him, bring him out. I pray, Lord, that you would bring him into abundance. In Jesus' name, bless his family. Bless the families of those watching. Lord, whatever sweeps through this nation, We declare it will not touch us in Jesus' name. We're on a different system. We're on God's kingdom. We're in kingdom culture, not the world's culture. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for it. We give you praise for it. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'm going to be back with you again, or Carolyn's going to be back with you too. Um, Let me encourage you before we go. Those that are standing with us, I want to say thank you to every one of our partners. I want to say thank you to those around this nation, in Canada, other nations that are standing with us to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. Uh, If you missed the testimony about the television expansion, go back to the beginning and watch it. It's open doors everywhere we look. I want to encourage you that are watching to stand with us in partnership. Maybe you haven't decided to partner yet, but I want to ask you to prayer, prayerfully consider standing with us. Go to miracleword.com, click on the partner page, click on the give page, sow what you can sow. Start where you can start. Don't say, well, I'm going to wait until I can get to that place. I want to wait until I get to that place where I can give $85 a month. Sow where you can. Start where you are. Be faithful over a little. God will make you ruler over much, the Bible says. You got to be faithful at the level where you're standing. And so, whatever that is to you, 
You can sew on MiracleWord.com. All the ways to give are there. PayPal's available. Cash App's available. Venmo's available. Zelle's available. Hashtag donate on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, even by cryptocurrency now. Even by cryptocurrency, you can uh, sow your seed. I want to say thanks. This month of September, for every person that is uh, standing with us in partnership, that is sowing seed, we're going to be sending you this book by uh, Brother Adam Pearson's favorite preacher, Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland, who he loves, and I think Adam said he partners with Kenneth Copeland on a monthly basis with a seed, The Laws of Prosperity. And uh, Adam, if you'll partner with us as well, we'll send you this book. You probably already have it from being a partner with Brother Copeland. But if you don't, The Laws of Prosperity. Uh, will be coming to you for your, your seat of $85 or more in the month of September. If you'd like to receive it, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and um, let us know where to send that, Adam, and we'll get that out to you, A-S-A-P. And um, it'll be great. I don't know if you have any more room on the bookshelf in your mom's basement, but if you do, add it to the collection and it'll bless you. I'm just messing with you. Um, also, let me say, finally, uh, <laughs> let me, <coughs> I'm cracking myself up. Let me say, finally, I cannot wait to see you guys in November the 12th. It's going to be awesome. Here's the next thing we got coming. October the 12th, we're going to be back in Fitchburg, Mass, Crossroads Community Church. Uh, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be wonderful. we got a full week of revival. I'm joining my father there. Uh, we're going to have eight days of revival at Crossroads Community Church. It's October the 12th, not right, through the 17th. Am I right on that? I think I am. All the details are at miracleword.com forward slash schedule. We want to see you. It's the perfect time. The 10th through the 17th. I'm sorry. 10th through the 17th. Man, if there was ever the time to make a road trip, and to be in revival. Now's the time. Best days are ahead. We're ending this uh, year in victory. We're ending it in momentum. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. By the way, by the way, um, I also want to tell you, if you missed the brand new kids content, (laughs) Dylan, I don't think we're going to be putting Scranton up behind me. (laughs) That's Miami at night. I'm not putting Scranton up. Um, But Dylan, if you wanted to just send us like a a photo of yourself, I might do a broadcast of just Dylan in the background, like a big picture of Dylan uh, in the background. (laughs) Do a whole broadcast. Dylan, if you could put on your Royal Rangers uniform and then send a picture. That would be awesome. (laughs) That's so funny. I love you guys. (laughs) Thanks for hanging with us today. I will see you again very soon. Be blessed. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.